Reggie. My name is Chris. And this is Weird Comics History episode number 27, where we bring you some weird comics history sporadically on Tuesdays, usually, <laughs> sometimes. For yeah. the next few weeks, we will. You can find us uh, Sundays uh, for Cosmic Treadmill on chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast aggregators. We're calling this one, this is going to be a three-part episode. This is part one, Exploring the Mysteries of Marvelment. And uh, I want to say at the top of the show, Chris has specifically poured a lot of his time and effort into this. I think think that after doing this three-part series, you, uh, you have a de facto law degree. I think so. So he, that that's good. So that that came out of it. That's positive. But uh, yeah, this is this is a crazy story, folks. I'm sure uh, some of you know some of it. Maybe some of you know a lot of it. But I bet that none of you know all of it. And after listening to these episodes, you will definitely know everything you ever wanted to know, and some stuff you probably didn't and care more. about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's dive right in, Chris. Yeah, this is uh, this episode's actually over a year in the making. We yep. <laughs> we opened this one up a long time ago. Uh, now, but before we do get to meet Marvel Man, we're going to have to ask a question because not only is his relative uh, recent history mangled, his very origins are as oh, well, yeah. yep. and they stem from a fellow by the name of Captain Marvel. This is uh, the Big Red Cheese, the character created by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck for Fawcett Comics in 1939. He'd make his first appearance in Wiz Comics number 2, that's February 1940 cover date. Now, Captain Marvel was pretty obviously created in response to the popularity of national periodical publications, slash DC Comics character Superman, who made his debut in Action Comics number 1, that's June 1938 cover date. Now, Fawcett's character was an instant hit, and on many occasions, even outsold Superman, reportedly at a clip of over a million copies per week. Now, Captain Marvel had something that Superman did not. He had a child as an alter ego. He would exchange places with Captain Marvel by uttering the word Shazam. Shazam is an acronym of six immortal elders. That's Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. Right, and if you ever forgot that by reading a comic, they would reiterate it every time. Every time. Uh, they would always have the, the, you know, the letters. The comic. statues yeah, exactly. and stuff, yeah. Uh, also, that alter ego, Billy Batson, narrated all of his adventures. It was as though he was telling the readers a story, making them feel like they were part of his adventure. Speaking of his adventures, rather than having his cast filled with ordinary office workers, Captain Marvel was surrounded by the colorful Marvel family. There was his sister Mary would become Mary Marvel, and their friend Freddie Freeman would become Captain Marvel Jr. I don't remember the exact circumstance around Captain Marvel Jr., but I know that hmm. Mary was able to become Mary Marvel simply because she was his brother. That was it. <laughs> yes. That was fine. Any, any relative from then on had uh, the ability. From there, the Marvel family would grow to include Uncle Marvel and Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. Silly associates would take part too, such as the Talking Tiger, Talkie Tawny. Who had a kind of a British accent. From 1941 on, Fawcett found themselves constantly battling National in court. National took Fawcett to court on claims of copyright infringement to protect their Superman character. They felt the characters were too similar, which is something we could probably discuss and debate, and this was not their only lawsuit of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point, the trial's over a half century old, so the case is quite closed. Yes, uh, we're going to now discuss uh, one of our old friends here, Dr. Frederick Wortham. Uh, By the mid-1950s, the comics industry wasn't at its healthiest. Fawcett, in light of their mounting legal bills, and the Wortham uh, Kefauver one-two punch threw in the towel in 1953. Now, you can hear all about that in in the first five episodes of Weird Comics History, available in the archives. Now, the settlement of the Fawcett National deal is uh, twofold. First one is Fawcett must pay National $400,000, $400,000, which is $3,677,052.63 in today's dollars. Uh, two, Fawcett must retire Captain Marvel. And they did. Cap's final Golden Age appearance was in The Marvel Family number 89, cover dated January 1954. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I know the industry was uh, having trouble around this time, but I got to think that payoff was it. Yeah, uh, that was the nail in the coffin. They, <laughs> Absolutely. they had to shut down. Now let's talk about L. Miller and Son Limited. While comics waned during the 1950s in the United States, they flourished in England. 
Captain Marvel was a top seller for publisher Len Miller, who had the British license to reprint the stories. As sales soared, Miller received word from Fawcett that they had agreed to retire the character and series. So then, who is Marvelman? Well, in or Marvel Man, I guess I'm I'm saying it like he uh, grew up in the like it's his last saga. name. Yeah. Right, so who is Hank Marvelman? No, it's Marvel Man. Uh, in light of the in light of Fawcett pulling the plug on Captain Marvel, Len Miller called upon Mick Anglo and his Growers his Gower Street Studios to create a Captain Marvel doppelganger, and they called him Marvel Man. A blonde British fella called Michael Moran, who wouldn't say Shazam, but instead would say Kimota with a K, which is atomic backwards, uh, phonetically, that is. Uh, although, like, it, which made sense, because if they spelled it correctly, we would have been saying Simota, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, at least in the case of litigation, which brings us here, Marvel Man's costume is actually more reminiscent of Superman's and Captain Marvel's. Same color scheme, though missing the cape. Uh, perhaps worth mentioning, Marvel Man's alter ego worked for a newspaper called The Daily Bugle. This is hey. this predated Spider-Man by nearly a decade. Now, in the December 23rd, 1953 editions of both Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. comics in Britain, this is edition 19 for both, it was announced that the characters would be retiring but would be replaced by totally, uh, by new, totally not derivative here. Right. <laughs> now, Captain Marvel 23's logo is altered to read The Captain Marvel Man, and uh, issue 24 was uh, clunkily altered to read Captain Marvel hyphen The Marvel Man. Uh, issue 25 would be the first without the big red cheese anywhere in sight, and would officially change its title to Marvel Man. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, lo- I'd love to see the paste-ups of issue 23 and 24. I'm sure it's just like... <laughs> Someone just scrawled the and just like oh it's it. uh, yeah. <laughs> we will include some of those images on, on the blog. It's uh oh, it's, it's very very clunky. <laughs> uh, now Captain Marvel Junior number twenty three's logo remained the same. However, a white bar was included at the bottom of the cover with text that read the Young Marvel Man. Uh, issue twenty four moved the Young Marvel Man to the top of the cover. Uh, just like Marvel Man, Young Marvel Man would take over the title of the mag with issue number twenty five. Now, before we go further into the Marvel Man story, let's go ahead and meet the man who made Marvel Man, Mick Anglo. Really, Maurice Anglowitz, born June 19, 1916, in Bow, London, England. He received his art education at the Central Foundation Boys School and John Cass School of Art, later known as the London Guildhall University, both in London. Sir John Cass was a 17th, 18th century philanthropist who founded the, his first school in 1709. Uh, post-graduation, Mick Anglo began freelancing in fashion and commercial art. He'd remain in the field until 1939. In 1942, he entered the National Service, where he drew cartoons for SEAC, S-E-A-C, the official army newspaper for the Southeast Asia Command. SEAC was the body set up to be in command of all Allied operations in the Southeast Asian theater during World War II. The following year, he would contribute cartoons to newspapers in Singapore, after completing his national service, he began writing novels for the uh, Martin and Reed Publishing House. Using the pen name Johnny Decker, Anglo would produce several pulp novels, most of which had an and in the title. <laughs> We're going to read a few of them here for you. We got Lugas and Lawsony, Pinballs and Pinups, Gowns and Gunzels. I think that's my favorite one. Rods, yes, sure. Rods and Redheads is another good one. <laughs> My gun speaks for me and muscles for hire, which sounds like a double feature in fairness, I would say. <laughs> also, nuts to nylons. <laughs> I think I want to read these more than Marvel Man at this point. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the most normal sounding, East Side Homicide. Uh, while writing, he would also contribute to comic strips to publishers, John Matthew Rayburn and A. Solway. Around 1948, Martin and Reed offered Anglo a gig working on their own comics line. He would edit, write, and draw Western, adventure, and science fiction strips. Also, in the same year, Anglo would create Wonder Man, not that one, for Paget Publications, or Paget, I'm not sure. Hmm. Wonder Man, real name was Captain John Justice. <laughs> which is, so which one's the code name? Really, right? I, you know, <laughs> he would appear in 24 issues between 1948 and 1851 for Paget. During the early 1950s, Anglo would keep busy in comics, he did Captain Valiant for Arnold Miller's Arnold Book Company, ABC, mm, ABC. very nice, uh, <laughs> and Space Commando Comics for L. Miller and Son. In 1954, Anglo would form the Gower Street Studios. He incorporated on Oct- on August 21st of that year, and his staff included British, British artist Don Lawrence, 
who has been cited as an inspiration to Brian Boland, Dave Gibbons, and Chris Weston. Bob Monkhouse, who's a comedian who would go on to host uh, Hollywood Squares in Britain, which is Celebrity Squares for ITV. Uh, Dennis Gifford, comics historian, uh, a radio and television personality, and for a time, the owner of the world's largest collection of British comics. Also, Ron Embleton, who went on to work on the Mickey Mouse Weekly magazine, and George Stokes, uh, creator of the British Western newspaper strip, Wes Slade. Uh, Anglo says... I employed a pretty large staff of freelancers, scriptwriters, and artists. Most of the artists had just come back, come out of the forces, and were looking for something to do. Uh, Gower Street Studios would create British comic books from 1954 through 1963. And during that time, they were tasked with creating Marvel Man. Speaking of which... Now, Marvel Man proved to be just as successful as his predecessor. That would be Captain Marvel. He was embraced by the British youth, who didn't seem to mind Captain Marvel's disappearance. (laughs) In addition to aping the main man, Anglo and company also created their own version of the Marvel family. Captain Marvel Jr., Freddie Freeman, would be replaced with the young Marvel Man, otherwise known as Dickie Dauntless. (laughs) Mary Marvel was replaced not by another girl, but with a boy. That's the British way. The her character was replaced by Kid Marvel Man, Johnny Bates. Familiar Captain Marvel villains Dr. Savannah and Black Adam were changed to Dr. Gargunza and the very British sounding, and this is a great one, Young Nasty Man, respectively. <laughs> now, Marvel Man and the Marvel Man family stories would continue to be published until 1963 and be reprinted in other countries such as Italy and Brazil, right around the time that the Silver Age was in full swing. Also, there'd been a relaxing on the British ban on American comics, meaning that Marvel Man now had to compete with the likes of Superman and Batman, as well as the coming flood of the Marvel Age of Comics. Marvel Man and Young Marvel Man both ran until issue 370. Uh, To explain that huge number, we should probably mention that for most of their respective runs until 1960, these comics were released weekly. Uh, with issues 336 of each, the shift was made to monthly publication. Wow, that Gower Street Studio, or Gower Studio, <laughs> busy boy. Woo. They were pumping it out. They were cranking uh, it. Now, when they shifted to monthly publication, they became the need to fatten these books up. And so, Marvel Man reprints, yep, not new stories, were crammed into books with unrelated war stories. Now, if you were to look at the covers for some of these, you'd swear that they were straight-up war titles. We'll, we'll try to include some of them on the blog as well. Wow. It'll, it just says Marvel Man, and it's a picture of a tank or, hey. or a fight up or like a, a jet with like people with parachutes jumping out. Uh, now, the t- titular Marvel Man family book wrapped up a bit earlier. It only ran 30 issues and finished up in November of 1959. I mean, I guess that's fair that Marvel Man turns into a you know, it looks like a war title since Captain America looked like a horror title by the end of its, <laughs> his run, his initial run, right? But uh, just, I mean, I, we go into this a little bit later in the episode, but uh, just to just to say it, this is really tepid stuff we're talking about here, right? This is Silver yeah. Age comics. Yeah. It's uh, not, con- this isn't controversial stuff. It's, you know, no, save, this is the stuff that nobody was excited about seeing. Save, save London from a meteor, beat up a big monster, that kind of thing. Uh, there's Dr. Gargwan Gounza, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, enter Miracle Man. Hmm. L- and L. Miller and Sons Publications was liquidated, and their assets, including their asbestos printing plates, were sold to another British publisher, Allen Class Comics. Allen Class Limited would publish black and white digest anthology comics in the UK from 1959 to 1989, which included strips and stories from Timely, Atlas, which we're talking about Marvel there, ACG, that's American Comics Group. Charlton Comics, MLJ, Archie, Red Circle, that's really all one group. Fawcett Comics, King Features Comics, and Newspaper Strips. Sterling Comics, and Lev Gleason Publications, that's our crime does not pay, folks. (laughs) As of May 2005, Century Comics in London have owned the rights to the class collection. Not sure if they have or are planning to do anything with that, but we figured it's worth mentioning. (laughs) Now, with Miller & Sons toes up and Anglo & Company out of the Marvel Man business, Mick began redrawing and relettering his old work. Uh, he released them as Captain Miracle under his own publication house of Anglo Comics. Captain Miracle would sometimes be seconded by Miracle Jr. Now, this was not a terribly successful venture. The title would only run for nine issues. Now, eventually, Anglo was approached to create a new superhero for the Spanish market, and so he went right back to the Marvel Man well, <laughs> redrawing and relettering old strips to create Super Ombre. <laughs> 
immediately after, he'd sell the updated strips back to a UK publisher under the name Miracle Man. Uh, this is Miracle Man two words. Oh well, that's hugely forget them. That's a totally different thing. Yeah. <laughs> now his transformation would occur uh, by uttering the word Sundisk, which we all know is Sidness backwards. Ah, uh, that makes perfect sense. Yes, that's a perfectly good one. <laughs> now the title would find a measure of success in the Netherlands, where it ran as I don't know how to say it with a Netherlandian Mid- accent. Uh, Mid- I'm just going to put a little, you know, Miracle Man. You know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's worth mentioning, this Miracle Man character actually made an appearance during Grant Morrison's 2008 AD strip, Zenith. That's so, that's hilarious. It's just hilarious to making the same character over and over again. <laughs> All derivatives, you know, just look, and the thing is, you know, the, the derivatives actually look the least like Captain Marvel, but, you know, it's oh, yeah. the same thing. Uh, so now let's talk about yet another Captain Marvel. In 1966, a very short-lived U.S. comic publisher, M.F. Enterprises created a character called Captain Marvel because why not? Everyone else is doing it. Let's get one in there too. Uh, some folks may know this fella as the one in a red, red jumpsuit who can break pieces off his body by shouting the magic word split, which is tilps backwards. So there, there's that. Or conversely, had the rock rolling skills of Sisyphus, the livestock seduction of Pan, the hunger of Lemos, the fertility of Inanna, the killing his son and feeding the cooked remains to dinner guests of Tantalus. That's got to be it. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna think that was a Chris production <laughs> right there, right? Yeah. Uh, he also had a sidekick named Get This, Billy Baxter. Nice. A little close. A little, little close on the nose there. Uh, interesting to note that this Captain Marvel was created by Carl Burgos, who created the Android Human Torch way back in Marvel Comics number one. That was October 1939 cover date. This only lasted five issues, and Myron Fass's MF Enterprises comics line was only in existence from 1966 to 67. MF Enterprises' more successful venture was Erie Publications, which produced horror titles such as Terror Tales, and which we may actually do an episode on one day, because I, I was torturing you with covers from that line. <laughs> yes, we'll have to get on that. I, yeah. It's very interesting stuff. Now, uh, for completionist's sake, there was also a Marco the Miracle Man, who would appear in Dixon Hawk. It's a non-comic book in the early 1920s. And Zambini the Miracle Man, who first appeared in Zip Comics number 1. That's February 1940 from MLJ Archie. Neither of them have done uh, have anything really to do with this, uh, but honestly, we'd probably never mention them otherwise. Well, there goes our plan to start a Dixon Hawk cast, Chris. Great. You never know. Uh, now, now, before we jump ahead, let's discuss the name Marvel as it pertains to comics. Now, we'd venture to say that if we asked any random passerby what Marvel is, they'd probably say they're the company that has those Avengers movies. Or maybe they'd say they're the ones that make those Batman movies. Yeah. But the point is, they would know that it's somehow related to comic It's books. a comic thing somewhere in there. Yes. So they'd be like Stan Lee, something like that. Sure. Now, in brief, in 1939, pulp magazine publisher Martin Goodman founded Timely Publications. Timely's first publication was the one we just mentioned, Marvel Comics No. 1, October 1939. This features, among other things, the first appearance of Namor the Submariner and that android Human Torch. In 1951, with their November issues, Timely Comics featured the Atlas News Company Globe logo. Atlas News Company was the newsstand distribution company Goodman owned. Atlas is a pretty deep subject, and we'll likely cover that uh, in long form another time. Now, in June 1961, the comics were branded as Marvel Comics. First issues with Marvel branding were Journey into Mystery number 69 and Patsy Walker number 95. Just a tiny box that read MC at the time. Yep. We mentioned all this because while it's not terribly unusual for characters to share parts of their names, such as DC's Wonder Woman and Marvel's Wonder Man, or... DC's Power Girl, and then Marvel's Power Man, having a character share a title with a competing company might make things a bit dicey. Legalese aside, you might be seen as unwittingly advertising a competitor. Uh, And it might also affect perception that readers would become confused as to why, say, Captain Marvel or Marvel Man was coming out from a publisher other than Marvel. Other, you know, uh, and why also Marvel has never made a character called uh, Super DC. There you go. Uh, that would just it would not be a good look for them. So Marvel Comics, just because, like I, like I say, everyone was doing it, uh, <laughs> they would create their own Captain Marvel. 
The Cree Marvell made his first appearance in Marvel Superheroes number 12. That was December 1967 cover date. Stanley is no dummy. Marvel would also trademark the name, blocking any other publisher from using it for comics. Which is why anytime DC pulls the big red cheese out of the mothballs, the cover reads Shazam. And, if legend is to believe why Marvel always made sure to pump out at least an issue or two bearing the Captain Marvel name every few years, keeping that trademark active. I mean, there was a time that it was weird. You know, just yes. Captain Marvel would come out of nowhere, and you'd be like, what? what, what? A single issue. Yeah. Like, well, what are, is this taking away my X-Men comics? What's going on here, you know? But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's something to it. Absolutely. Uh, by this point, Fawcett, who is still in business, had licensed the Captain Marvel character to, well, the very people who put them out of the Captain Marvel business to begin with, DC Comics. Unfortunately, due to Marvel's trademark and their propensity to be litigious, there wasn't a whole lot DC could do with the property. They could refer to the character as Captain Marvel inside the book, inside the stories. However, the word Marvel could not be in the title of the series. The word Marvel could, however, appear on the cover, uh, but it might, you know, might not be a, a bear worth poking all that often. Yeah, it, this whole thing is so, it's, from a reader's perspective, it was always a question like, you always felt like they were almost pushing an envelope. You know what I mean? yes. They were test- They were daring each other to step over a line this whole time. <laughs> now, we could continue to dig into Shazam comics, Captain Thunder, the 1970s television series, and why the character is now known simply as Shazam. But the Fawcett DC Captain Marvel saga could, should, and probably eventually will be yeah. a show unto itself. Uh, now, we said all of that, so we might say this. Uh, it was going to be difficult for any non-Marvel publisher to produce a comic with the word Marvel in the title. Not that that'll stop them across the pond. Nope. Over at Warrior Magazine, this was a comics anthology launched in 1982 from Des Skin's Quality Communications. It would run 26 issues from March 1982 to January 1985. Derek Deskin, born February 4th, 1951, was the head of Marvel Comics' UK operations, during the late 1970s, sometimes referred to as the British Stanley, and was actually headhunted into the position by the American Stanley. Uh, his career began as sub editor for IPC magazines, a position he held from 1970 to 1975. IPC was the International Publishing Corporation, now known as Time Incorporated. Uh, UK, oh, Time Incorporated UK, a subsidiary of Time Incorporated, publishes of, among other things, Time Magazine. Mm. He was plucked from IPC by Warner Brothers to edit a UK-focused Mad Magazine. He would remain from 1975 to 1978. At which time he was, in his words, arm-twisted by Stan Lee to turn around the fortunes of his then-ailing UK publishing division. He remained in the position for a mere 15 months, from 1979 to 1980. Des would say, only stayed 15 months or so because I'd fulfilled my function to make the company viable once more, and didn't wish to simply replicate and dilute the successes or become a paper-pushing production editor. He was then voted Britain's humblest man in 1980. Oh, No, no, he wasn't. Uh, (laughs) He would found Quality Communications in 1981, where he would launch the Warrior Anthology. More on that in just a little bit. Yeah, you can see how this would get very complicated to the comics historian, because you're thinking, like, Quality? Wasn't that another? Yeah, there there was another publisher called Quality Mm -hmm. in America. But anyway... Uh, a little bit of Alan Moore for you. He born November 18th, 1953 in Northampton, England. Grew up in an impoverished area of blue-collar Northampton called the Burroughs. He was a voracious reader, did well enough in primary school to attend the more middle-class Northampton Grammar School, which goes from ages 11 to 18. But he got kicked out for dealing LSD. Wrote poems and stories for literary zines throughout the 1960s, eventually having his own titled Embryo. After drifting about for a while in 1973, Allen began dating and then married Northampton-born Phyllis Dixon and got a crummy office job working for the gas council. Then he decided that there's got to be a better way. Now, he's already done a couple of comic strips written and drawn by himself for the alternative press. His first paid work was a comic in NME Music Magazine. It was October 21st, 1978, and it was an illustration of Elvis Costello. He did a couple of strips for Sounds Music Magazine throughout the rest of the 70s. He submitted, he submitted an unsolicited strip for a Judge Dredd to 2000 AD editor Alan Grant. Now, Dredd was already being written by John Wagner, but Grant recognized Moore's talent and asked him to do some work for Tharg's Future Shocks, 
This is a series of showcase strips that ran in 2000 AD as a testing ground for new talent. Now, he would work for 2000 AD as well as for Marvel UK. Moore recalls coming across an old Marvel Man annual unsold at a newsagent in 1968. He says, I wondered what Marvel Man was doing these days. I was struck by the image of the eternally youthful and exuberant hero as a middle-aged man, trudging in the streets and trying fruitlessly to remember his magic word. Mm, now, Alan Moore was interviewed by future collaborator David Lloyd for the Society of Strip Illustrators magazine. When asked if there were any properties he'd like to work on, he recalled his recurring Marvel Man concept and said, If anybody revived Marvel Man, I would like to write it because I'd got some great ideas of, uh, as to how it would be done. It wasn't long before Dez Skin came a-calling. Skin explained to Moore that Marvel Man's copyright belonged to L. Miller and Son, and following their bankruptcy, the rights to Marvel Man had passed to the official receiver. The official receiver, or OR, is an officer of the Insolvency Service of the United Kingdom. Therefore, the rights could be purchased for a very small amount, and so he gave Moore an offer to put his money where his mouth is and contribute his new retelling of Marvel Man for Warrior Magazine. And uh, Alan Moore... Uh made up a proposal. Uh, we're, no, we're no strangers to Alan Moore proposals, uh, and we've come to learn that he paints quite the picture of what he intends to do with oh, whatever yeah. he's chosen to do. Almost as long uh, as the comics that follow, really. Sometimes longer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you can check out our Weird Comics History look at Alan Moore's uh, Twilight of the Superheroes uh, pitch in the archives as well. Uh, Moore opens it with the mission statement, I'd like to bring what was basically a silly-ass script in line with the 1980s. First, he wants to emphasize the fact that Marvel Man is a superhero and highlight the sense of wonder that goes along with that. It is his, his intention to not only write the definitive Marvel Man, but also the definitive superhero. Second, he wants to pay tribute to the nostalgia the Marvel Man name and character may evoke. He, he said, in my opinion, the central appeal of nostalgia is that all this stuff in the past is gone. It's finished. We'll never see it again. And this is where the incredible poignance of nostalgia really comes from. Third, he wants to limit divergences to the core concept and keeping it with what he views as good sci-fi. He says, What I'm after is a spectacular 1950s superhero in a blue costume who says a magic word and was given his power by a wise old wizard and who now operates in the 1980s and who is totally scientifically credible. Dr. Emil Gargunza was the leading scientific advisor for Hitler's Third Reich. In 1948, Earth was visited by aliens. This is, of course, his, his uh, yeah, this is arch enemy. This is, this is, yeah. <laughs> in 1948, he was visited by aliens. This is, this is the uh, uh, Dr. Savannah of the Marvel Man. Yes. Gargunza kept this secret from the rest of the world and thus began his spook show. This is Gargunza's own Air Force intelligence ops. The aliens, when autopsied, were revealed as having two skeletons, two sets of organs, blood, all that. Gargunza deduced from these that these aliens were uh, possessed of the secret of alternate personas and could transform between them. By 1954, he was ready to start experimenting. Yes, we have Michael Moran here, born 1939, lost both of his parents and was orphaned by age 12. In 1953, he would take a job at the local newspaper. In 1954, Michael followed up on a story about a wizard, and it's here that he was given the magic word Komoda. Uh, from this point on, Mickey Moran was Marvel Man. Richard Dawson, that was the uh, former host of Family Feud who liked to kiss all the women. Uh, uh, diff different, different person. Oh, 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 wait, this is uh, Dickie Dawson, right, another Yes, orphan. yes. Uh, he also had a run-in with a wizard uh, this, and would become young Marvel Man by saying Marvel Man, which is really dumb. Yeah, just like the what uh, Captain Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel Junior will say, Captain Marvel. He's just got the same exact thing. I know. <laughs> so dumb. Didn't get, didn't get the same word. <laughs> we got Johnny Bates, another orphan. He'd become Kid Marvel Man. The Marvel Man family, together, the Marvels would fight crime for about a half decade, never really thinking about how similar their origin stories were. All three orphans, all three met a wizard. There you go. Uh, now they would face off against silly Silver Age threats. Uh, if we can even call them threats, because in the 1950s, nobody seemed to ever get hurt. Hmm, very strange. Hmm. Back to Dr. Gargunza, his experiment would run until 1961, and we'll talk about just what that was in a little bit. With that experiment done, he has no further use of the Marvel Man family, and so he disposes of them. Mickey and Johnny survive, but Dickie does not. 
Mickey Moran is discovered unconscious and an amnesiac in a field. He starts working for Fleet Street in 1962. He marries Elizabeth O'Rourke in 1965. In 1975, he begins suffering nightmares and migraines. In 1981, Moore's story begins with... A dream of flying. Mickey realizes who he really is, and we'll discuss that more in just a bit. But first, a little bit more about Johnny Bates. As mentioned, Johnny survived the disposal attempt, and he also managed to keep his memory. Johnny knows he's just about the most powerful being on Earth, and has no senior Marvel Man to answer to anymore. He decides to remain in his kid Marvel Man form at all times, while using the Johnny Bates identity. So he still uses the name Johnny Bates, but he does not use Johnny Bates' body anymore. Now, Moore would say he has wealth, power, and not considerable political influence. He has also, by being so long divorced from his own humanity, turned into a nasty, amoral son of a bitch. As you might imagine, he isn't terribly pleased when Marvel Man remembers who he is and makes his grand return in 1981. He tracks down the body of Dickie Dauntless and finds that his remains have two skeletons. Mm-hmm. Now, the alternate persona concept, let's let more explain it, because we probably couldn't. Yes, it's tough. He says a cell sample is taken from the intended recipient. It is then altered by certain specific changes to the structure of the DNA spiral. The new body is then grown to the correct age artificially. It is not completely alive mentally. It functions on a level of some conscious awareness and is thus almost catatonically inert. The full-grown persona is then twisted into the same spatial plane that neutrinos seem to exist in. And he continues, An implant is then placed in the brain of the recipient subject and keyed to a hypnotically implanted code word. What the word actually is doesn't seem to matter at all. The personas age concurrently, however, only when they are in use. So if Micah was to say, not turn into Marvel Man for a couple of decades, Marvel Man would not age. If Johnny Bates would only be Kid Marvel Man, that's the persona who would be racking up the years. You get it? Mm-hmm. Artist Gary Leach was chosen for the revival, although Moore's recommended artists included Dave Gibbons and Steve Dillon. A very brief look at Gary Leach. He was born September 19th, uh, 1954 in uh, Britain. I would guess somewhere, yeah. <laughs> now, his earliest comics work was in 2000 AD, specifically stories featuring Dan Dare and Mach 1. Also, he did some future shocks like like they all seem to do. <laughs> uh, in 1981, he would join up with Dez Skin's Quality Communications. Uh, now, with Warrior Number 1, uh, we get a look at the cover here. In the bottom left corner of that cover, dated March 1982, there was a character in full silhouette with a yellow question mark on its chest. Below it read, from present-day Britain, a hero reborn. Right, so we're going to go through the whole shebang here, folks. All that Alan Moore and Gary Leach wrought, and later on other artists, I think, right? Uh mm-hmm. Warrior number one, March 1982 cover. First two chapters of the new Marvel Man story. Book one, A Dream of Flying, chapter one, colon, 1956, and chapter two, 1982 prologue, by Alan Moore and Gary Leach. Michael Moran is having a recurring dream of flying. He regularly wakes up with a migraine. During a reporting assignment at a nuclear power plant, he finds himself in the middle of a terrorist situation. His migraine worsening, he sees the word atomic on the backside of a glass window, which reminds him of the secret word he'd long forgotten. Upon saying Kimota, he becomes Marvel Man and takes out the terrorists. Yes, the next uh, next issue of Warrior, Warrior number 2, April 1982 cover date. This would feature Marvel Man's first cover appearance. Uh, this is Book 1, Chapter 3 by Alan Moore and Gary Leach. Michael returns home to his wife while still in his Marvel Man guise. And he shares with her his secret origin, or, or at least uh, what he knows of it. <laughs> uh, that must have been nice for her, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Warrior number three, July 1982 covers. Book one, chapter four, When Johnny Comes Marching Home by Alan Moore and Gary Leach. Michael learns that former sidekick Johnny Kid Marvel Man Bates is still alive. Kid Marvel Man first appeared in Marvel Man number 102, July 1955 cover. Michael and Liz Moran visit with Johnny, who claims to have lost his powers. It's revealed pretty quickly that he indeed did not, and he attacks Mike Moran. Mm -hmm. Warrior Issue 4, Summer 1982. 
This is the Yesterday Gambit. This was written by Alan Moore with art by Steve Dillon, Paul Neary, and Alan Davis. Now, this is an interlude to make up for uh, Gary Leach's tardiness. This is a glimpse into Miracle, uh, Marvel Man's future. Uh, now, Warrior number five, this is September 1982. We're back to book one. This is chapter five, Dragons, uh, by Alan Moore and Gary Leach. In it, Kid Marvel Man's rampage continues. Over to Warrior number six, October 82 cover, book one, chapter six, Fallen Angels, Forgotten Thunder, by Alan Moore and Gary Leach. The Marvel Man, Kid Marvel Man battle draws the attention of Project Zarathustra and a man named Sir Dennis Archer. Johnny accidentally calls out the secret word Marvel Man during the battle, transforming him back to his child state. Marvel Man spares his life, however, but Johnny is, re- is rendered into a vegetative state. Archer calls in a man named Evelyn Cream to take care of things. Now, Warrior number 7, November 1982, Book 1, Chapter 7, Secret Identity. This is by Alan Moore, Gary Leach, and Alan Davis. Mike and Liz see what Marvel Man is capable of. Evelyn Cream attempts to deduce the man behind the Marvel. He questions one man named Steve, and once he gets his answer, he smothers him to, de- to death with his massive mitt. Well, it's, a, it's an He visits him in the hospital and says, I promise I won't kill you. And then he gives him the answer he needs, and then he goes, he hands him a piece of paper and says, about not killing you, I lied, and he smothers him with his mitt. Oh, that's yeah. a, so Evelyn Cream is a fella. Yes. Right. Okay. I, I just wanted to say that, that that is something that we in the U.S. would not assume. That's all. That's no. All I'm say. That, that's fine. Uh, at this point, Alan Davis took over the art chores. Alan Davis, in brief and only up to this point, born June 18th at some point in the 20th century, we're pretty sure. He doesn't look that old. Uh, somewhere in the United Kingdom, he began his comics career doing art for a British fancy. Paul Neary and Des Skin, who was still working at Marvel UK, would assign Davis a Captain Britain story for the mighty world of Marvel. This was Captain Britain's revival series, written by Alan Moore. He'd also do some work for 2000 AD, and also teaming up there with Alan Moore. Together, they would create DR and Quitch. Uh, Warrior Issue 8, December 1982. Book 1, Chapter 8, Blue Murder, by Alan's Moore and Davis. Uh, Michael meets Mr. Cream. Cream asks Michael to hold a baby, which stops him from transforming into Marvel Man. Because if he were to transform, the kinetic aura he'd create would have killed the child. So it, uh, oh. <laughs> it kind of handcuffs him. Wow. Uh, Warrior number nine, January 83 cover. Book one, chapter nine, Out of the Dark by Alan's Moore and Davis. Cream hits Michael with a tranquilizer dart and directs him to Project Zarathustra. He is supposed to kill him, but chooses not to. Moran marvels up and busts his way through Zarathustra's defenses and winds up facing off with Big Ben, the man with no time for crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warrior number 10, April 1983. Book 1, Chapter 10, Inside Story. This is Morn Davis. Uh, Marvel Man takes Big Ben out with the quickness and approaches the Zarathustra bunker. Uh, Warrior issue 11. And remember, these are this is an anthology, so these are only like eight-page stories. Right. So that's why they're, uh, they're kind of quick to go through. Uh, now, Warrior 11, July 1983. Still in Book 1, Chapter 11, Zarathustra, by Alan Moore and Alan Davis. Uh, Marvel Man learns that all of his Silver Age adventures were memories implanted by Dr. Gurgunza, which is a pretty clever way to make sense of and to place these stories without just retconning them out completely. Exactly, yeah, so that they they happened but didn't really happen. Indeed. Uh, Warrior number 12, August 1983 cover by Alan Moore and John Ridgway. This is a silent short starring young Marvel Man. And then Warrior number 13, September 1983, this is Book 2, The Red King Syndrome, Chapter 1, Cat Games, by Morin Davis. Mike and Liz have some marriage trouble, an interesting take on the love triangle. There are now three people involved in their marriage, Mike, Liz, and Marvel Man. Johnny Bates is haunted by his kid Marvel Man alter ego as it tries to resurface. Warrior number 14, October 1983. Book 2, Chapter 2, One of Those Quiet Moments by Morn Davis. Marvel Man returns home, and the house is ransacked, and Liz has gone missing. Warrior number 15, November 1983 cover. Book 2, Chapter 3, Nightmares by Morin Davis. Marvel Man gets help from Cream and deduces that Dr. Gargunza is responsible for Liz Moran's disappearance. The doc has designs on the Moran baby. Oh, uh, Liz is pregnant. We forgot to mention that. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> now, Warrior, Warrior issue 16, December 1983. Book 2, Chapter 4, The Approaching Light, by Alan Moore, Alan Davis. Uh, Gargunza keeps monitoring Liz and the unborn baby. Mike and Cream head to Paraguay to track the baddie down. Warrior number 17, March 84, cover date. Marvel Man Family, The Red King Syndrome. This is another Alan Moore and John Ridgway joint. This is a flashback story exploring some of the Gargunza programming. That they, I guess they received in the Silver Age, that's the idea. Uh, Warrior number 18, April 1984 cover. This is book two, chapter five. I heard Woodrow Wilson's Guns by Alan Moore and Alan Davis. A Gargunza origin special, and also Marvel Dog. Hey, now we're going to skip Warrior 19 because Marvel Man don't appear in that huh. and jump straight to Warrior number 20. This is July 1984. Book two, chapter six, A Little Piece of Heaven by Alan Moore and Alan Davis. More Gugunza origin and just how Zarathustra got rolling. Warrior number 21, August 84. Book 2, Chapter 7, And Every Dog Its Day, by Alan's Moore and Davis. Marvel Man and Cream arrive in Paraguay. Gugunza uses the override word Abraxas to turn Marvel Man back into Michael Moran. And that's where it ends, for now, because... Yeah, perhaps a step too far for quality was publishing the spinoff Marvel Man special. Nothing like waking a sleeping beast. Marvel could not force quality to stop publishing Marvel Man stories, nor from all accounts were they terribly interested to. However, being the trademark holder would not be legally responsible to allow another publication with the word Marvel in the title. You know, if you don't challenge these things in yeah, court... You lose credibility. You lose credibility. You basically open up the door for the next, you know, 10 people to try the same thing. Uh, in the opening pages of Warrior number 25, or, vol- uh, or Volume 3, number 1... December 1984, Quality Communications printed the letter they'd received from Marvel's legal counsel, Jacques, Jacques and Lewis. Uh, the article was called By Any Other Name, in which Quality prefaced, possibly the most popular feature in the first two volumes of Warrior has been Marvel Man, which may ha- have to read M. Starvel Man in the future. <laughs> in the following, the following, for the sake of unbiased news reporting, is the content of a letter sent to each director of communications publishers of warrior along with its reply from the company's managing director in part it may answer the questions many of you have asked about the obvious absence of our resident superhuman for the latter part of george orwell's year of big brother draw your own conclusions now the letter reads dear sirs we act for marvel comics limited and marvel comics group a division of cadence industries corporation of the usa Marvel Comics Limited has since the the early 1970s published and sold periodicals throughout the United Kingdom, incorporated and or bearing its corporate name and or the registered trademark Marvel and or the names of Captain Marvel and Marvel superheroes characters, which are themselves registered trademarks in the UK. Marvel Comics Group is the registered proprietor of the above-mentioned trademarks. Our clients are and have been for many years closely associated and identified with the registered trademarks derived from them in the eyes of the general public. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The letter continues. We understand that in June 1984, you published a periodical entitled Marvel Man and bearing the additional description special number one. By using the name Marvel Man in connection with that periodical, you are representing that that periodical is a product of or associated with our clients, which is not the case. You are thereby wrongfully taking advantage of the substantial reputation and goodwill which our clients have established under their respective corporate and divisional names and under the names of the several Marvel characters referred to above. You are confusing the existing and potential customers of our clients, and this has caused and is continuing to cause damage to our clients' business. Therefore, unless you receive by 12 noon on Monday, 1st October, your unconditional undertaking to cease using the name Marvel Man or any colorable imitation thereof, including ceasing to use that name or on or in connection with your business and periodicals published by you and on all stationery and trading documents used by you, we will recommend that our clients commence high court proceedings against you immediately thereafter, claiming an injunction to restrain any such use and damages for passing off your business as that of or associated with the business of our clients. We are sending copies of the letter to each director. Yours faithfully, Jacques and Lewis. 
Then, <laughs> then a rebuttal in Warrior number 26, February 1985. This is the final issue of Warrior, by the way. Uh, Dez says, we are in receipt of your letter of October 2nd concerning our, concerning our publication of the above-mentioned character. I personally must admit to a certain amount of confusion over your repeated mention to recommend high court proceedings against us to your client, Marvel Comics. My letter of September 26th was intended to inform you of various facts about which you may not be aware, to, to enable you to fully appreciate the situation before making any recommendations to your client. To that end, I feel I must mention that the two instances you cited, Captain Marvel and Marvel Superheroes, are not current publications, so I cannot understand your reference to confusing customers or causing damage to your client's business. Neither can I find either to be registered trademarks. However, we have no plan. We, we have no plans to publish and further right, any further magazines which feature Marvel Man as part of the titles, such as Marvel Man Special Number One, which you specifically named in your original letter of September 21st. I would hope this prevents any confusion your client feels may exist. Such confusion is not in our interest and certainly not our intention, given the trade feeling towards your client, according to various wholesalers we have spoken to. In connection with the character Marvel Man appearing within our publication, Warrior, we have been doing so for almost three years, having received no reaction whatsoever from the wholesale trade from readers or Marvel Comics or their representatives concerning confusion. Given Marvel's own recommendation for our material in print several times, and their visual inclusion of Marvel Man within recent publication storylines, likely a, this one's likely a reference to Alan Moore, Alan Davis's Captain Britain story, in Marvel UK's Daredevils number 7, July 1983 cover. Uh, Des continues, We feel entirely innocent of passing off our business as that of, or connected with, your client. Considerable expense was involved in securing and relaunching the 1950s and 1960s registered property, which has since won many awards for its originality. But until you have cleared up this matter with the copyright holders, we would prefer not to resume publication. Your client is well aware of the copyright situation concerning Marvel Man, employing the same freelance creators as ourselves. But I must insist that if your client sees this as a genuine problem, the matter is resolved quickly, as we cannot realistically withhold an unfinished lead feature indefinitely. Yours faithfully, DG Skin. And you know, Chris, I think we should have read that in British accents. You think <laughs> I, it, would, it would have been much more offensive, but it would have made would have. much more sense. It would have indeed. Now, as mentioned, this is the final issue of Warrior until a 1996 spring special one-shot, which has nothing to do with Marvel uh, And with that, we're going we're gonna to cut it off here. We're going to wrap things up here for now. Oh, because everything was fine after this, right? That yes. no one ever heard of Marvel Man or Miracle Man this, yeah, ever this again. one hiccup. <laughs> Now, uh, our next episode, we will be talking about a revival of Marvel Man a little closer to the House of Ideas than they like. Uh, that's stateside, of course. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be talking a lot more, a lot more growing pains uh, for oh, yeah. this uh, for this property, for this character, and for just about every creator ever involved with him. This thing becomes a legal thriller, folks. So if you're a fan of Law and Order or shows like that, this could really be right up your alley. Uh, let your I, uh, let your fingernails grow out because you're going to be biting them. You know, as we uh, as we go through this. Well, one thing I, I do want to mention, though, you know, Alan Moore taking this character and deconstructing it really is the first. I'd say the first time it's been done in this way. You know, sure. Poking fun at at superheroes and and you know what the trope is and whatever that that had been going on. Uh, Mar oh, Marvel had not brand X. You know, I mean, Mad Magazine did it in the 50s, so it's not, it wasn't the first time. But uh, to really break it down, bring an element of realism to it. And we'll get more into how real it gets uh, in the next yes. episode. This this is, you're looking at the beginnings of, you know, what is basically modern comic storytelling is all about as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. This, uh, this is definitely the shift in the language for the for the writing end, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, you can almost just follow... Alan Moore's uh, works from this point, you know, this, then V for Vendetta, then, you know, Swamp Because thing. V for Vendetta was uh, was go was coming out concurrently in Warrior Magazine alongside right. this. But, uh, I mean, this is all before Watchmen. It's all before Swamp Thing. It's This is really the, uh, the seminal uh, deconstructive piece, I think. I think this is where he, you know, tried his ideas out. So sure. That, so that when he got to Watchmen, they, he was pretty sure how he wanted a lot of it to go. 
Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's out there to get. But we're going to talk about how you can get it in a future episode and what the, yes. what the story is with that, folks. Uh, there's a lot more to come. But uh, if you would like to write to us and tell us about your feelings about Marvel Man or Mick Anglo or UK Publishing, uh, Comics Publishing, <laughs> you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic t-mail history. We also have a Tumblr, cosmic history.tumblr.com. And on Twitter at cosmic t-mail. I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. See our weekly writings about newer comics at weirdsciencedccomics.com. And you can check out Chris's personal blog over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com where he... Reviews and dissects and comments on a different DC title, DC Comics title, every day of the week, going on now many, many days. Do you know how many days it is offhand? Yes, uh, uh, yeah, 786 was today, I think. So uh, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be in the 790s. My goodness, you know, I, I mm-hmm. can't stick to a diet for three days, and here you are just hanging <laughs> this out. Uh, you got to go check that out, chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. It's... Uh, he has pictures from the comic, he puts ads at the bottom, and his commentary is unparalleled. Thank you. <laughs> now, we also have uh, our show site, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, where you'll see all of our show notes for uh, episodes of Weird Comics History and The Cosmic Treadmill and any other silly stuff we might find to uh, to put up there. Yeah. Uh, this week, we'll try to get some of that uh, some of that Captain Marvel, the Marvel Man covers up and... Uh, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Um, we're also on YouTube. Just search Weird Comics History without the spaces. That's All right. Work, and we should be the first thing that comes up. So far, we have been. Uh, we'll see. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe now someone else try to sneak us. You'll find out. It's like go to Weird Comics History. It'll be like you know. Uh, five, be a toy <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Five, five fingers sink you to sing Baba Black Sheep. <laughs> My you God! Believe what the third one says. Let me tell you something. That—that's not a thing for the comics podcast. But what kids are watching on YouTube? Not good, Terrible. folks. It's not good. Terrible. It's 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 not good stuff. This is not uh, the you know the uh, children broadcasting network is not behind it. So you better look out. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, if, your, if your kids are using the uh, the YT Kids app. Ooh, Be vigilant. There is some freaky stuff on that, but anyway, uh, that's for someone else to cover. I don't know. Even want to? <laughs> I don't even want to do the research for that one. You know what I mean? No. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's all we got from this episode. You got anything else for? Him? Nope. I think that'll do us. Well, until next week, folks. I want you to keep it weird historically. See ya. Yeah.